Welcome to that 80s show. Are we Dallas or are we Dynasty, Dory? <laughs> as long as we've got the padded shoulders, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm both Bobby Ewing and J.R. Ewing at the same time. Ooh, Schrodinger's uh, Ewing. Hmm, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Harbrow. Hmm. Harbrow, that 80s show, so Harbrow. Yeah. Uh, but worry not, I will take it down to the gutter as soon as I can. Uh, this week, uh, theme of the show, no real theme, just can't believe we haven't played the song yet, right? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a reason we haven't played that song for my, in my case that we started the show <laughs> with, because I'm not a fan. But uh, it's fine, I'll allow, I'll allow it. Dory, you've got to expand the 80 smorgasbord of options, you know. It just can't just always be one thing. You know, it's got to throw something interesting in there. Uh, Dory, yes. weird anniversary this week of such a lovely song mm-hmm. coming up next uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall by Boy Meets Girl. Now, we have played that song before, but we're going to play it again because it's just relevant. Did you know that Boy Meets Girl are husband and wife duo? No, but I mean, that makes sense. It is a 25th anniversary and they're actually releasing new material, Boy Meets Girl. Hmm. Well, I'm sure they're old man meets old lady now, let's be honest. <laughs> Granddad meets grandma. <laughs> but so Shannon Rubicam. I assume she's the girl. Singer, songwriter. Listen to this about them. Just casually in this interview, I find on The Guardian. Mm. Well, we had written How Will I Know and I Want to Dance with Somebody for Whitney Houston. Hmm. Right? So not only do they make this lovely little song, they actually wrote two of Whitney Houston's biggest 80s hits, her breakout songs. Yeah. And they were given tickets to go see Whitney Houston in uh, LA on tour 1986. So after she sings How Will I Know... They looked up and there's a shooting star in the sky. Lovely. So beautiful. Right? Yeah. So cheesy. (laughs) They pull out their – exactly. Right? But, I mean, the song is super cheesy. Yeah. But they pull out their notebook and write down, waiting for a star to fall. And it felt like a sign from the heavens. (laughs) Right? So that's the thing that blew blew my mind about them is that they are – they wrote for Whitney Houston. That's that's amazing little factoid there here on that 80 show. Yeah, I did not know that. They then pedal it around, take it to a few producers who say, you know what, they listen to the song, they put the thing together, they turn their garage into a studio, and uh, producers are going, you know what, this thing's going to be a hit, let's get into studio, let's make this song happen. Uh, so husband, George Merrill, okay, he's the singer-songwriter and specifically keyboards, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, no word on who plays the saxophone in the song, but uh, George Merrill is on keyboards. The phrase waiting for a star to fall just seemed so perfect and I could feel the beat in it right away. The way the song just tumbled together felt like really good math. (laughs) (laughs) Math. (laughs) So listen to this next law, but a sentence you didn't think you'd hear today. But one of the things Arif Mardin, now he's the producer, said was that the song had a very unusual chord structure. Did I screw up, I thought, but he was actually giving me a compliment. At that point, Robert Palmer was all set to do the song. No. So the, the, they were actually going to give the, write the song and give it to Robert Palmer. I can't imagine Robert Palmer singing it. That's bizarre. So Robert, in his wonderfully gentlemanly way, asked, would you mind awfully if he didn't do anything with it just yet? So he turned it down. Mm. It was the funniest, coolest thing. Belinda Carlisle did a version. Hmm. But was apparently unhappy with it. Can you have Belinda Carlisle doing yes, it? Yes, that makes more sense. More, more than Robert Palmer. But anyway, it went off. Uh, it went off. And then at this point, they mentioned that Whitney Houston was also lined up to do it. 
Oh. Who, that I can hear as well. Yeah. Um, they never asked Whitney if she regretted not doing the song, uh, so they don't know. But uh, who cares? They are releasing new, the five EP Boy Meets Girl, their first new material for 19 years is out now. I'm going to go look around for it. It's going to be crap. <laughs> it's going to be bad. You know it. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. <laughs> Stick to the old stuff, guys. This is That 80 Show Movie Time. Dory, the weather's been a little bit movie-ish weather this week. And, uh, and if it carries on into the weekend, what are the good people of that 80 show watching on your recommendation. So Paula, I know you hate it when I do a TV series instead of a movie. I don't hate it. Okay. I don't hate it. <laughs> Today I'm giving you a movie and a TV series. So remember last week we spoke about um, movies that became cartoon shows. Mm. This is a story of a movie that became a TV series. Mm. And There's not many. I, I do not remember the movie very much. I have to be honest. I have seen it, but I really barely remember it. But the TV series... I remember very clearly. And my mom and I used to sit and watch it together. It ran from 1982 to 1987. And we loved it. Now, Paula, cast your mind back to 1980. The movie came out in 1980. In fact, it was... Dory, I, I literally can't. <laughs> I was a newborn. <laughs> I had no mind. <laughs> Try. <laughs> I'll imagine. You know, my imagination is quite spectacular. So let me imagine. Yes. Imagine, imagine. So this movie was um, conceptualized in 1976, filmed in 1979, and released in 1980. But now think about the world, how the world was in 1980. This movie was groundbreaking in so many ways because it featured a cast of people of many colors and races and cultures. It featured gay and straight people. And they were all part of this ensemble cast. It wasn't like, you know, there was the, 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 all the black people were the criminals. Gang members, exactly. Ex- exactly. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what it was like at that point. If there was a cast with like multiple races, like the, the people yeah. of color were definitely gangs or criminals. Yes. And then when you said of like gay and straight, then I was like, oh, okay, it can't be a gang movie. No, it's not a gang movie. I will give you a clue. This movie had a lot of dancing in the street. You didn't. I don't know, did I? What do, do you I, think it is? Do I remember your name? Do, do you want to live forever? <laughs> You've got it. This is no Mickey Mouse school. You're not getting off easy because you're talented. You work twice as hard. Now, I don't care how well you dance or uh, how cute you are or how many colored tutus you have. If you don't give your academic subjects equal time, you're out. For Coco, it's the stardom. For Ralph, it's a chance. For Leroy, it's survival. For Lisa, it's the dance. Bruno, this is our big chance, man. Don't you want success? They've got nothing in common but a dream. So you want to be an actor, huh? Yeah, sure I want to be an actor. Judy, Judy, Judy. A dream that one day the whole world will know their name. Because I'm going to be a dancer, a good dancer. You know who says so? Me. A dream of fame. Fame. It's the dream of instant success. I'll have $20,000 a week. I'll have a hit TV series. I'll have my face on the cover of TV Guide. 
and the constant reminder of failure. I don't think you'll ever be good enough, Lisa. But I don't know what I'll do if I can't dance. When I'm down and feeling blue. It's dedication. Dance is not a way of getting through school. It's a way of life. And frustration. It's stage fright. And opening nights. Kids are into sex a lot earlier in the South Bronx. Like about 6 a.m. I ask you to hold me tight. It's love. Through a cold, dark night. It's pain. All anyone ever promised you was seven classes a day and a hot lunch. It's contagious. You want to know what's happening to me, man? Success, all right? Now you either hang on or you hang up. It's outrageous. It'll change your name. I'm becoming an actress. But I want you to be the Doris that I know. It'll change your life. I'll pay my dues on the West Coast. Come back to New York as a star. If they've really got what it takes, it's going to take everything they've got. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents an Alan Parker film, Fame. You know, I don't think enough trailers right up front there are written with rhyming schemes in them. You know, for some it's the chance, for some it's the dance. I mean, you need more of that. Well, I mean, that was the whole thing about this this show. Okay, so so that was the trailer for the actual movie. Like yeah. I say, I remember the TV series more. But here's, here's an interesting factoid about the movie fame. It was originally called, in its script phasing, it was called Hot Lunch. Hot Lunch, we want to live forever with a hot lunch. <laughs> it doesn't work. That's why they changed it. <laughs> Sounds like something from South Park. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I do want to talk about the TV series, though, because I remember it a lot more clearly. Now, my, one of my favorite characters in the TV series was Laurie Singer, who, of course, you should remember as the main girl from Footloose. Then there was Leroy, who was the dancer. And Shane, he actually, his real life story is very sad. He actually died quite young, but uh, feel free to look that up. Was it AIDS related? It was. Yes, and it was very yeah. tragic. He was like about to break through, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his whole life story is, his whole life story is actually very sad because he, he was trying to escape, you know, this terrible family situation. His whole family were drug dealers, basically. And at one point, his entire family got arrested and jailed for, for dealing in like heroin and cocaine and stuff. And he was just trying to, I mean, his whole acting thing was a way out, but it just, he didn't actually get out. It, it's a very sad story. And then, of course, we remember Debbie Allen as the strict teacher. Uh, the whole thing was like so angsty, but in a almost musical way. <laughs> it was just a very enjoyable show. And... Um, Funnily enough, I didn't remember this. Janet Jackson was was on the show for a for a stint. She actually was in like twenty something episodes. I don't I do not remember this actually. Also, what a great soundtrack. You know, those songs, there's a little bit of a 70s hangover in those songs because it, it, it was so early in the 80s, but really, really good stuff. And eye candy for everyone, honestly. Like they, they, they cast this show for eye candy. It was really, really cool. And, of course, the famous song by Irene Cara. How, I mean, how can you go wrong? Well, you, you mentioned it right up front. Is that that sort of ensemble, 
Academy of the Arts type of show has actually become quite common and is quite normal. But like, if yeah. you think like things like that became so um, popular latterly, things like Glee and so on, yeah. and there's yeah. numerous, numerous others, they would never have sort of been there without that throwback to fame, which sort of set up and go, wow, there actually is an audience for stuff like this. And I mean, you cannot even compare fame to Glee as far as I'm concerned. No, 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 no. You I'm, just don't even try. Just yeah, just to frame that out, it's just it is a comp- it is a similar show. There is no yeah. comparison because, firstly, yeah. I feel all the problems in the world today are down to glee, and that's why <laughs> that's why they seem to be cursed. Okay, it's no coincidence, no coincidence at all. Wow, Paula, I didn't know you had such anger towards glee. Oh my god, wow. you, don't even, you don't even know, you don't even know my anger towards glee. It's so petty. I'm 41 years old, but I hate a show about aspiring teenagers. Can't stand it. Okay, boomer. <laughs> So, Dory, my movie last week, we're talking about Apocalypse Now. And uh, yes. it reminded me of another uh, war movie that I thought, you know, let's look into that this week because we actually haven't covered this movie yet, surprisingly. It also includes, uh, like Apocalypse Now, disenfranchised young men that got manipulated by the U.S. system to become soldiers in a war that wasn't their battle. Um, they all have dark, tricky pasts that drive them into the military because uh, there's no other option. They end up doing unthinkable, unspeakable things in the name of the U.S. Army, in the name of the arms race. You know, young men, young men manipulated. But the only difference is that the cast of Apocalypse Now went on to become some of the most defining actors of probably theirs and the generation and maybe the generation after them. Whereas, yeah. You know, am I right? You know, those, the, oh, yeah. you know, um, whereas the cast of my movie went on to become Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> My movie is Bill Murray's Stripes. So in Stripes, Bill Murray plays a cab driver who just, in the course of a few days, just loses it all, quits his job, his girlfriend leaves him, he loses his apartment, and he reckons, well, the only thing left for me is to actually join the army. And with his best friend, played by Harold Ramis, and the two of them would join up together a few years later in Ghostbusters, uh, just goes along for the ride because he is a moron, and uh, they end up in the army, and they end up being a lot older than a lot of the other recruits um, that are part of their platoon. And um, army-based Bill Murray-type shenanigans ensue um also in the movie is john candy yeah so completing a nice little snl type uh roundup there and of course being an 80s movie it has to star judge reinald or it just wouldn't have got made he plays (laughs) one of the young recruits and dory one of the things oh it's also directed by ivan reitman bill murray harold ramus and ivan reitman uh join up together uh a few years later for ghostbusters and this was sort of their first time working together on a big production film what i sort of noticed also looking at the fame trailer it became it was yeah. such a big thing in the 80s the spying on girls in the shower scene oh was, my goodness was eh? that in every movie i swear every single movie <laughs> because like it was a thing <laughs> this movie was called Porky's Goes to the Army, basically, because that's what it was, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Porky's and Revenge on the Nerds and so many movies at that time had people spying on girls in the shower. I saw it pop up in the Fame trailer as well. You know, now Fame yeah. wasn't that sort of movie, but they have to put it in. I'm sure somewhere on YouTube there has to be like a supercut of every spying on girls in the shower scene from all the 80s movie. Uh, I think I'm going to make it my weekend's mission <laughs> to find – you know, just for research, Dory, 
You know what I mean? Of course, for research, yes. You know, one of the reviews, like, listen, and Bill Murray has gone on to become just like, I mean, you know, he's the godfather, right? You know, and, and he's so quirky. And there's that story of going, if you book Bill Murray for a movie or a TV appearance, you actually don't know if he's going to show up because he doesn't have a phone. And, you know, he just <laughs> decides and he doesn't read the script and he does what he wants. But everyone's like, you know, in such reverence of him. And uh, the line that I read in the Roger Ebert review of this, of Stripes, was perfect, perfectly described Bill Murray because I've never been able to put a word to it. He's anarchistic. <laughs> anarchistic. You know, he's yeah. just, he is just anarchy in everything. Like even the way he delivers lines, it's like you never know when he's going up or down or where he's going to end or if it is even part of the script. He's just chaos everywhere. He's just anarchy. And I think it's like such a – that's the word that Bill Murray is and always – as stay to be. Yeah, I do love most of his films. Though. I do like. I think that having dinner with him would be an awesome experience. Can you imagine? Did you see him uh, recently? He got some Lifetime Achievement Award, and yeah. uh, he, oh, you know, it was like a award ceremony at home. But like, you know, all the starlets got dressed up anyway, and they yeah. cut to Bill Murray, and they're sitting in a nice Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> just, just being. Oh, well, good for him. <laughs> And I like to imagine that if the event was in real life, he would still show up in his Hawaiian shirt if he showed up at all. Yes. So that's two great movies for you this weekend. Uh, yeah, fame. I don't know if I've seen Stripes. I have to say, I mean, I'm aware of it. I know of its existence, but I'm not sure if I ever actually watched it. It's super 80s. I mean, I think it's also 1981. So it is very, very top of the 80s. So it does mm. have that. But anyway, I mean, two very different movies. Fame, remember the name. And then Stripes, Bill Murray wants you in the U.S. Army. This is that 80s show playing songs that I can't believe we haven't played yet. Voices, hey, Voices Carry, we never played that. Amazing. So, Dory, I do want to ask you, Voices Carry is done by a, a band called Toll Tuesday. Do you appreciate the use of the apostrophe mm. or the gra- grammatically correctness of Toll Tuesday? I do, I do. Because if you think about it, like Wham, which always has the exclamation mark, can you imagine the frustration of the Till Tuesday band members when like they're booking their gigs and they're on the poster and there's no apostrophe and they go, dude, you've got to put the apostrophe. Come on. Like, you know, it's part of the name. That's if you <laughs> even got it right in the first place. Cause I mean, I mean, this is the eighties. So there's no like spell check or there's no Wikipedia or anything else. I mean, yeah. people could have thought it was tell Tuesday. So T E double L Tuesday. It could be, um, till Tuesday. So like, uh, you know, uh, registry yeah. tool that was a nightmare so you know i mean there's so many hurdles to clear um before you even get to that it was a very brave move and i imagine that they were quite an intellectual band i imagine yes yes mm. what we do love on that 80 show are puns and um of course we're attracted to a pun on the band name hall and oats something called call and oats yeah um, dory have you heard about this no i haven't but uh <laughs> It is the best. So there, there exists a phone number, okay, that you as a human being can phone. Unfortunately, you cannot phone from South Africa, uh, but mm. we have uh, intrepidly explored the internet to find it for you. A number, call and oats, which is 719-266-2837, which is basically 719-26-OATS, right? Okay. And you call it and uh, you can get a Hall and Oats song played for you. Okay. I mean, there are easier ways to play all the notes. Like. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's not a new thing. The story keeps popping up every few years, and it first popped up in 2011. Uh, and to call a line to get Hall & Notes played for you, 
Take a listen to what it sounds like. Welcome to Collar Notes, your emergency Hall and Oates helpline. To hear one on one, please press one. To hear it go, please press two. To hear Manita, please press three. To hear privatize, please press four. Oh, those are the only options. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, if you are ever in a Hall and Oates emergency and don't have Spotify or Apple Music or literally ten thousand other ways of listening to Hall and Oates, <laughs> you can call the Hall and Oates hotline. <laughs> Why specifically this band? Why didn't like I mean, in the days before Spotify, etc. How did Every band not have a, an emergency line like this because they don't have a punnable name. <laughs> it's so silly. Okay, <laughs> they, stop. <laughs> they win because they have a punnable name. That's that's mm. what happened. Uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. This is that eighty show, and we took a break from the SA Music feature for a week or two or three, uh, but we're back. And Dory, this is actually my favorite song so far. Uh, that oh, cover yeah. is, mm, mm, I really like That's it. Interesting. Did you know it before? No, I actually did not. <laughs> ah, even better. <laughs> yes. When I introduce you to new songs from the eighties that you didn't even know existed, even better. Yes. Yeah. So this, um, the song that we we are uh, doing this week is a song called Ancient by a band called The Spectres. Now, most people would have known The Spectres from their huge hits. They had a very big hit with a song called Teddy Bear, and then also Bebop Pop. I chatted to a guy named Gary Rathbone who uh, was a was a member of the Spectres. He's 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 been very involved in the South African music industry for many, many years. And so the thing about and I, I do tell the stories. So I don't want to like kind of preempt the the interview. But the thing about the Spectres is those were the big hits that everybody knew because those got lots of play on radio. And even though Ancient was released as a single and did get some radio play, a lot of people just didn't know it. And he explains in the interview you'll hear, he explains kind of why it was it almost had a backseat to the other songs which for me weren't as good but uh, let's let's take a listen to what Gary has to say so i'm chatting to Gary Rathbone who i have been hearing your name for so many years Gary and i don't know how we've never met or never spoken you've been involved with a variety of bands and music projects over the years you you're still making music which is amazing but today we want to talk about the spectres so can you give me a little bit of background on how the Spectres came about and your involvement? Um, yes, Dory, absolutely. And, and, and thanks, thanks for, for having me on to ask, talk, talk about this. It's always, I always like talking about the Spectres because it was, it was a great time. Um, the, the fact is, is that we were all quite close friends in many ways. We, we'd been involved in various bands and various stages together. In fact, um, Richard Frost and myself um, and Richard Frost's wife, Megan, uh, we had been together in a band called um, What Colors, which was in the sort of early 80s, uh, kind of a minimalist kind of post-punk kind of setup that we had at that time. Um, and um, when that broke up, when we, that band split up, and then at a later stage, then at Steve, oh, Steve Howells was part of that band as well. And Stephen uh, left to then form the Dynamics uh, with, uh, with Paul Goodwin, who was also with us in, 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 in What Colors, and, and various other people. And then Richard, myself, and Megan were kind of left at a, a, a you know, we, we wondered what we would do. I, I'd gone overseas and I'd come back again. 
And then um, the other person that we had been working with, who was a good friend of ours, was the band called No Exit that was out at the time um, that uh, featured uh, Alan Lusk in that band. And, um, and then Richard and myself and Megan had a short band called uh, Urban Camouflage, which was based on the What Colors cassette name, basically. We were trying to, trying to keep that kind of legacy going. And in that band, we had come across a singer for a, a band called Exhibit A, um, a woman called Tara Robb. Um, who also became an incredibly good friend over the years and, and someone who's now very, very sorely missed. Um, but um, anyway, so I, I really love Tara's style and attitude and everything like that. And I remember when I saw her in Exhibit A and I said, this is the person I want to form a new band with. This is the singer that I want to have in this band. And and so we had this thing with with Urban Camouflage for a short while. But then uh, No Exit broke up and, and Alan Lusk, who was such, Scotty Lusk, he was a big friend of ours. We were all hanging out together. And said, "Well, you know, let's, um, you know, why don't we create a new band?" And um, and so we can't join us as well. And we started then working together. So the original line of the Spectres was myself, um, uh, Richard Frost on drums, Alan Lusk on bass, um, and then uh, Megan Frost on guitar, um, and uh, Tara Robb as, as the vocalist. And that's how, how the band started. And then we just kind of jammed and built things up from there. And, and Tara was a very, very key part of the band. She didn't just come on as a singer. She was a, she was a songwriter as well and very, very creative and a very dynamic personality. And it was really great fun, you know, being, being part of that band. She's actually the, um, the, the main uh, co-writer. Well, she's the, the lyric, she wrote the lyrics for, um, for Ancient, which is the song I know that we're going to be talking about. And, um, and, you know, so it's very much a song that speaks for and to her in many, many ways. Yeah, I absolutely love that song. I mean, the first time I ever heard the Spectres, I think it was probably the song Teddy Bear, which was quite yes. a big hit and got played on radio a lot. And I heard that song and I was like, yeah, this is this is cool. And then, of course, um, I don't know if you remember, if, you, if you've lived in Joburg um, a long time, there used to yes, be <laughs> in Yeovil, there used to be a place to buy records Rocky oh, Records. Um, was it Bizarre Music, I think? Oh, yes. Oh, that's right. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And I used to go and buy loads of records. And, I mean, they were like a few rand a piece. <laughs> and okay. I remember finding the Spectres album there for – it was probably five rand. I'm not even joking. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, I'm going to grab this. And I I hadn't heard Ancient yet at that point. Yeah. And, of course, the opening track on the album. And I got home and I put it on. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing song. And I used to listen to that song over and over and over. I mean, the whole album is great, but Ancient has always been by far my favorite song. And, um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's actually one of my favorites as well. I, I, I love it. And it very much speaks to, in many ways, I mean, we got kind of captured, I think, by Teddy Bear. Uh, the interesting thing is that as a band, when we were playing up until that point, you know, Teddy Bear was a song that we did live. And, and there was another song, Bebop Pop, which was another song that became a hit for us uh, yeah. as well. And, and, and those were songs we played live and they were fun songs, but they, they never really, in our minds, they never really reflected kind of where we saw the band going and who we kind of wanted to be. And you know, songs like Ancient were much closer to that. And a song called Dreaming, which is the end of side two as well. That was kind yeah. of where we wanted to go with it. But the interesting thing is that we, we had actually won a demo of the year competition uh, on top 40 that year. And the prize was a recording contract with Principal Records. And, and we were really excited about that. Um, but then at that time, uh, Gallo, uh, I was very good for, I was at Vits at the time. I was running, uh, I was the chair at, uh, at Voice of Vits. And so I was spending a lot of time with the record companies and, and, and Gallo, um, not Gallo, RPM said they wanted, they, they were keen to, to check out our site a bit more and they were really interested in signing us too. 
Um, and then they said, they put us in, I'm gonna, we're going to book you for two nights in at the Gallo Studios to do a demo for us. Do four songs and let's see how it goes. And we did the three songs we thought were like our key songs that we wanted to kind of do. And we said, well, let's just throw in teddy bears as a, as a joke. Let's just kind of do it while we can and have a bit of fun with it. And we're recording it. The second night, Duncan Gibbon comes down. He was the A&R guy then at the time. And he literally walked in the studio at the time as we were busy mixing teddy bear. And he said, uh, he just walked and he stood there for a moment. He said, he said, all right, that song's going to be a hit. Come to my office tomorrow and let's sign the contract. We've got a deal. And walked out again, basically. And that was it. Um, so that's, and then we became like this teddy bear thing. But for me, songs like Ancient, um, as I said, and, and Dreaming and, 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 and my, my old song, um, um, uh, White Hotel, which is also one of my personal favorites, and not just because I wrote it, because I, I do like it. And I've actually re-recorded it a couple of times since in new versions of that, um, which I, still, I think it is a song that I, I like a lot as well. But those are the songs to me that we, we, we really were at, and they kind of got sidelined. So I was very excited by the fact that we could actually make a video, and that was we chose um, Ancient as our second single to, to follow uh, Teddy Bear, because I think we wanted to try and get things, show people, okay, we're not just about, you know, the Teddy Bear kind of thing and this kind of serious side to us, and that was very much what it is about. Have you ever seen the video for it? I don't think I have. Is it available anywhere? Well, I think it's locked in the SABC archive somewhere. You know, I'm I'm I'm, just, I'm trying to dig dig some of them out, but some of those old videos aren't. Oh, yeah. Because um, it is quite it was quite an extraordinary video shot by Sergio Joffre. He was a, quite a top commercials director at the time, and he wanted to create this kind of black and white feel. And we had us all dressed up in these kind of suits and this kind of cocktail vibe kind of thing. It was it was a lot of fun actually, and it's, it's quite an interesting video. I really think it's uh, we've got to try harder and dig that out of the SABC archives. Absolutely. Can you imagine what else is in there? <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, I'm at the SAB. I work at the SABC at the moment, and I know that there's a whole project on trying to get in there and, and, and digitize the archives. And, and mostly people have no idea. And that, it's across everything, about three quarters of what's down there in, in the SAB, SABC archives. A lot of great stuff there that's still going to come out. Yeah, well, you're the inside man. You, if anyone can do it, you can. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do my best. We end there talking about the vaults and the deep, dark tunnels of the SABC. Dory, that is not a place you want to be. I was once there on a late Saturday afternoon. Now, obviously, SABC have stations all over the country, but they have like a little satellite within the building. And I had to go downstairs because we were doing like a link up between one of the stations in uh, KZN and yeah, and you go down and down and it goes further and further down and it gets darker and darker and colder and colder and further and further away of civilization and i imagine and i've heard that the archives are even deeper deeper down further than that so yeah. whoever's brave enough i mean i have been down fairly fairly deep into the building and <laughs> and you you almost feel claustrophobic you almost yeah. feel like there's definitely no air there's definitely yeah. like we are we're, we're too far gone we're never going to get back up to the surface again it's like you feel like a trapped miner in a way because <laughs> you're quite a way underground at that point once you start yeah. going that far you're actually underground and it's actually crazy how it's it was built that way because the building it's, it's very tall up into the sky as well mm. <laughs> it's like no. how big did this thing need to be you do not want to go into the archives but the man who goes down there or the woman the person who goes down there um, they're going to uncover some loot, but uh, it, I also imagine some face-burning Indiana Jones type shit going on.
This has been that 80s show. Not mentioned in the show yet, but of course, everything you hear today is on that 80s show, SA on Facebook. Um, some fun things this week is put up a nice little comic about a man listening to some old music and it activates the your youth is gone forever button in his brain, which I think we can all feel. Well, so so scarily relatable that was. It was, it was really, really depressing. And for a lot of people, that, that sort of post got a lot of attention. I think a lot of people like just had a little like moment with their, their inner self. <laughs> My favorite thing we posted this week was a Top of the Pops promo, like a recap of oh all the artists God. on Top of the Pops. And it did inspire a lot of the songs for this week's show. We have to just, you know, admit that. The little segment was called What 1988 Looked Like on Top of the Pops. And in there, you've got opened up the show was Yaz. And uh, the, the whole name of the band was Yaz and the Plastic Population. <laughs> okay. There's Tiffany's in there pulling off a spectacular dance move. I mean, yeah. outrageous. Her, her signature dance move. Mm, yeah. But I mean, seeing it in that she's got this white flowing dress and it just looks fun, like a super 80s, something like Boy George would wear. Um, <laughs> and she looks fantastic. In it. <laughs> what a move. <laughs> yeah, you got to go check it out. Um, who else is there? Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan um, popping in there, seemingly wearing curtains as uh, vests. Terrible. And yeah. then, of course, included in there is a band that makes Doris Skin Crawl, Bross. Mm. And. Uh, We'll never understand why you hate Bross, do you? Well, then that would just have to be. <laughs> but Paolo, I really dug the, the meme that I posted on our Facebook page this week, which was a scene of every, the cast of The Breakfast Club looking extremely sulky with the words, just remember, for every boomer that hates a millennial, there's a generation in between that hates you both. <laughs> That's so true. Also, Breakfast Club was what, March 24th? was the day that the Breakfast Club 37 years ago. Um, something like got, that, yeah. Something like that got called in for t- detention. Like I said the other day, there's a goddamn 80s anniversary for everything these days. Just like it should be. You got to be more specific when there's a picture of them all looking sulky because that was pretty much like 90 minutes of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> Just go check it out. <laughs> so, Dory, don't you forget about telling us what you learned from the 80s show this week. I learned that... Not all bands with four letters in their name are good. You have Wham, but then you also have Brass and Yaz. Could be foreboding. <laughs> foreboding. <laughs> Outrageous, Dory. <laughs> and don't forget, two things you've got to do this week. Get on that 80 Show essay on Facebook. Check out all the cool stuff. And if you do run into a Call and notes emergency. There's always call call and notes seven zero nine two double six two eight three seven or seven zero nine two six oats. No one ever remembers phone numbers, but people do remember great eighties puns. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Dory. Bye. Bye.